Hello everybody and welcome to the fourth episode of the Two Foot Attack podcast. I'm your host Aristomatakos as always and before we get on to the football, which is what we're here to talk about, I just ask, um, asked for everyone listening, give it a follow, uh, subscribe on YouTube, that's what it is, subscribe on YouTube, like the podcast on YouTube, we've got um, clips, like f- three to four minute clips coming on, on the YouTube channel, um, and then on TikTok, Instagram, your bite size, one minute, half a minute clip, so if that interests you, um, give it a follow on Instagram and TikTok, just two foot tackle pod, and it will come up. And yeah, Spotify, give it a follow, five star rating on on the whole lot. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the all the all the platforms. Um, it would be majorly appreciated. Um, I hope you're all doing well. I hope the week has treated you kindly. Yeah, I think we all deserve it. Um, yeah, moving on to what was a interesting interesting and comprehensive week of football there's a lot to get through so um we will get through a lot um today we have the obviously the fa cup we have one um one finalist in that competition as we're getting to the business end of it now yeah we have the a league so that again started from midweek actually some games to talk about this week which is good no no one one game a weekend um fixture list anymore hopefully um, touch briefly on the Women's Asian Cup because that happened. Um, the AFL Cup, we now have both our finalists, so we'll give I'll give a short preview on that, but I'll give a, a more in-depth one once the, the date comes. Um, the Premier League, again, that started from midweek, so there's a lot to get through. Other European top five leagues, there's a couple of games which I just want to touch on that had, had some talking points which I, I, I want to discuss. Um, Afcon. A lot of things happened there. I said last week I'll give a compre- I'll give a, a review of um, all the the group stages and and stuff like that. So I'll give a re- review of the group stage, a look forward to for the for the knockout stage, and oh, I'll give my predictions as well. Um, who went into footed? We'll get we'll get through that as well, and then we'll preview the week of football ahead. Now. We'll start, as we always start, with the A-League and the Australian football scene. It was the FA Cup, I think, on Tuesday or Wednesday night. And it was Sydney versus Central Coast. And I think I said this last week. I think I said Sydney would get through comfortably. And the upset the upset happened. Central Coast beat Sydney. I think it was 1-0. And... I did not see that coming at all. I was pretty convinced that if victory were to beat Wellington, that they'd be versing Sydney. But no, it was Central Coast who got that upset. It's their first FA Cup final, um, so they'll be hungry for success in that in that realm. And yeah, I think it's exciting getting new teams, getting um, upsets. I know it's not the biggest upset because they're both in the same league, but you'd expect Sydney to, especially with the cup experience that they have. You'd expect them to, to get up for those games, but credit to Central Coast, they got the job done, and they play either Wellington or Victory, who play on Saturday afternoon, I think. So it'll be interesting if if Wellington if Wellington beat Victory, then that'd be I'm not sure many would have predicted those that final um, four months ago, but we are here, and 
it's one game away from happening. Now, moving on to the A-League, um, Brisbane won Perth Glory nil. That match happened in midweek, I believe. Um, that was Brisbane's first win of the season, which was they needed. They needed to get off the mark. Um, I think I didn't tip them to have a particularly good year. Um, I just didn't rate their squad. I'm not. I wasn't too over. I wasn't overly keen on them. But it's been a pretty poor start, and they're one of the teams that's been heavily, ham- uh, heavily, um, like restricted with the fixtures. They've had games postponed for about a month, I think. So good to see them getting back, getting their first win. Um, Wellington two one Western United. I'm not a lot of talking points happening there. Just interesting to point out Western United. Um, who had a good start to the season, dropping points, um, losing, in fact, when they've only lost a victory prior to that game, I believe. Um, Sydney's bad run of form again, or bad run of form continuing, even. They lost 2-1 to Perth at home as well, which is disappointing. Um, Daniel Sturridge still waiting on that elusive A-leg goal. He showed promise. He showed real... He showed why he's Daniel Sturridge and why he's a was a Premier League player and like a Champions League winner. Um, yeah, the, he's like he's quite clearly a cut above the rest with only a limited amount of game time and training because of everything happening in WA. But um, yeah, once I think once he gets a first, the floodgates will open and he'll be a scary proposition. Um, speaking of signings. Um, Carl Jenkinson to Melbourne City. This came out of... Seemingly came out of absolutely nowhere. I just checked my phone and... Bang. Carl Carl Jenkinson on a six-month loan. Um, Unbelievable signing. I mean, he's not the flashiest player. He's not like your 33. He's not like a Del Piero type where he's 45 or whatever he was. Like, he's still relatively young and he's... Carl Jenkinson, like he's been at he was at Arsenal for how for how long? Like, I like I can't believe they they managed to pull that off. But that is an unbelievable signing, and he scored on debut. So, even for a defender, there you go. Um, it's an unreal coup for for Melbourne City. I think that will elevate them to because they've been slightly disappointing at the start of this season. But I think that will elevate them to to good heights. I reckon um, as they beat Central Coast three one. And then Adelaide calm, come from behind, come from a 1-0 deficit to overthrow Brisbane 3-1 away from home. Now, moving on, I said I'll touch on this briefly. The Women's Asian Cup. Now, for those who didn't see it, and I don't, I don't blame you if you didn't see it because um, it wasn't really publicised on social media or on any news platforms i don't believe so that's slightly disappointing but um the matildas won 18 nil against indonesia um that's yep okay i mean that happened uh sam kerr with scored five and van egmont scored four it's like a footy score like kerr with a with a bag of five like what the like? I I was just looking at the goals go in and in and in. I was like, oh, what on earth is happening? Um, we have a we have a real flat track bully about us. I think Australia. I think obviously eight nil against Indonesia, thirty one nil against America Samoa. I think we beat Tonga like twenty three nil. 
something like that um in that same in that same block of fixtures back in 01 or whatever it was um yeah 18 nil that is that's beyond like beyond the smashing like when you think like a demolition you think like eight nine maybe even ten nil 18 nil is i don't think i've i don't think i've played in a competitive game that had that's had 18 goals scored in it from both teams let alone women's asian cup 18 nil loss um just thought that was interesting to point out um moving on oh i forgot to mention the a-league ladder um Victory still top. Melbourne City now behind them. Um, Brisbane rooted to the bottom of the table with five points. Newcastle keep Newcastle using them as a as a flotation device as they are on equal points, but they have two games at hand, so they should be okay. Um, so Sydney drop out of the finals race, which is interesting as well, considering their dominance over the past two seasons. Now. Moving away from home soil, moving abroad, um, the AFL Cup, we now have our finalists, Liverpool versus Chelsea um, at Wembley. Liverpool were just too good for Arsenal on the day, 2-0. Diogo Jota with a very good performance who basically just saw them comfortably go through. I thought Arsenal were going to put up a little bit more of a fight considering how how valiant they were in in the... away leg um but no Diogo Jota ripped the game apart and I think that's that shows the quality that he has because he's not he's obviously not a Mane not a Salah but he has that he has like the the confidence to take a game by the scruff of the neck and just win it like just win the game for Liverpool um in a high pressure game that's um you need you need those players in your side so there you go quick preview um i know it's been chelsea versus liverpool has been very cagey affairs sorry the first game was very cagey um at anfield this season um obviously under the 1-1 with a red card so you can't really take a lot of a lot of hints out of that game especially the second half um whereas the second game at Stamford bridge the 2-2 was thrilling from start to finish so who knows how this AFL Cup tie or this AFL Cup final will pan out? Um, it's the first time Liverpool have been in a cup, in a domestic cup final for a fair fair while. I think I can't actually remember the last time they were in a domestic cup final. Obviously they've been in Champions League finals and whatnot. But um, Chelsea, this is their first AFL Cup final appearance since. The penalty shootout loss to Manchester City, I believe. Um, yeah, it's Tuchel's um, act of vengeance um, at Wembley, obviously, the FA, FA Cup loss last season. So, Tuchel looking to, to get revenge for well, at Wembley, obviously not on Liverpool, but at Wembley, and Klopp looking to win his first domestic cup with Liverpool. I think, which is insane to think about considering how good they've been under it. Now, moving on to the league, um, we've got a lot to get through. We'll start from midweek. Now, Spurs, we'll get on to the Chelsea game because I want to speak about that in depth. But they trailed Leicester with 
I think I I genuinely think it was about thirty seconds to go. They were losing one two one away from home at Leicester, and you think, oh god, here we go, it's Spurs all over again. Yet they somehow scramble home at an equaliser. Stephen Bergwijn just got a goal from nothing. Matt Doherty created some havoc in the box, and Bergwijn was there to just poke at home. And you think, oh, there you go. And they salvaged a draw. Last-minute goal. There you go. That's the end of it. But no. But no. They somehow win the game from nothing. Um, it was off the kickoff. Yuri Tillemans gives away the ball pretty lackadaisically. Um, uncharacteristic for from Tillemans, who, in my opinion, is a class footballer. So, disappointing from him. But... It was a gorgeous ball from Harry Kane to Burwine, who really had no choice other than to round the keeper, and he executed perfectly, snuck in at the back post, and pandemonium in North London. Um, yeah, unbelievable scenes. And that, that shows the, the character of Antonio Conte and Antonio Conte's sides. They never give up, they always fight, and passion is what is what um, the word comes to mind after that thrilling finale to that game um Everton oh Everton oh oh Everton um obviously Rafa Benitez he's like he lasted till January I was surprised I thought he'd do a good job but I think the fan I thought the fans would have roundly sounded him out before before now but it was poor from pretty much the start of the season and I don't see any reason why um, I don't, I don't, I, I can't think of a valid reason why they should have kept him. It was a clear um, error on um, the part of the board. They should never have signed. They should never have brought him in. He was never going to be the right fit. He was never going to bring success to that club. Even though he's a good manager, it just doesn't fit. Like sometimes, sometimes you can't. It just doesn't work. And I think this was a a clear example of that. Um. I don't want to touch on Everton too much because it's just not that fun because they're not that good, and there's no real. Obviously, I don't think they'll get. I don't think they'll go down. I think we'll touch on the other other um, results which have now dragged them into a relegation fight. But I think with Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and Alan Decoré, Pickford, Godfrey, Mina, like these are good players. Like they're surely there's three worse teams in the league than them, right? Um. Newcastle with a big win in the relegation scrap over Leeds. Um, was it Leeds? It was Leeds. That was a yeah, it was Leeds. Um, it was bizarre the way that Newcastle have like conducted themselves over the last month because once the new owners come in, you immediately think, oh. They're going to sign three world-class players in January. It hasn't panned out that way. Obviously, Trippier and... Um, oh, my God. Chris Wood. Are, like, decent signings. Like, they're, they're okay signings. Um, especially Trippier, who has a lot of Premier League experience, has World Cup experience, can really uh, nurture that defence and really be a leader there. And Chris Wood, obviously, proven Premier League goal scorer. 
but something just isn't hasn't ticked for me yet um, in regards to Newcastle. Hopefully they can they can prove me wrong and they can get to a place where they're comfortable because the league's richer both metaphorically and literally with them in the league. So you'd want to see them stay up. Um, United leave it late, but or play well, but leave it late against West Ham. I wrote on my run sheet. So it was a last kick of the game goal from Marcus Rashford to salvage a win against West Ham. Who it's a uh, put here yeah, big ramifications for top four. I think that's perfect. A perfect way to surmise that game. Um, I think if United lost that game, their top four hopes would have ever so slightly slipped away from them. They've clawed their way to three points and they've clawed their way back into that fight. So, there you go. Credit to them. Um, on the other side of Manchester, not so much delight as Southampton take points away from Manchester City. Now, last week, I said, and I quote, City won't drop, City won't drop points again this season. How wrong was I? <laughs> Literally the next game. Um, Southampton draw and potentially could have even beat Manchester City in that game. Um, it was just a bizarre game. Now it's now the response to that can can go either one of two ways. Now it can either be a blip in the road. Some teams have these games where just nothing goes their way. I I, I look back to Chelsea losing five two to West Brom last season. I was watching that game like oh. Like literally nothing is going right for us, and everything is going right for um, West Brom. Um, Liverpool losing seven two to Villa last season. It was just like it's unexplainable. Like it's 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 beyond a smashing where it's like oh, it's like it's just one of those footballing things that has no explanation. I think it can either be one of these, or it could be a blueprint that's been set by Southampton um, on how to challenge Manchester City um, and if other teams can employ a similar philosophy who knows, maybe the title race isn't over um, it'll be very interesting to see and I think the next game for Manchester City is a big telling point Is a big, big t- it will be a telling um, a, t- a telling game in the way that they respond to um, this dropping of points um, Liverpool one no Crystal Palace one Liverpool three um, again just Liverpool too good Palace left themselves a little bit exposed at the back but they found success getting in behind Crystal Palace um, I think that's that's probably the main thing that I saw from watching that game and that's where the goal came from obviously the ball in behind the defence into the square ball for um, for the goal but they were a lot of times they were getting in behind that back four, which is surprising because you look at Van Dijk and Matip and you think two pretty physically adept centre backs who can have a quick who have quick turns of pace um, and are really aware of the game around them. But Crystal Palace with the pace got in behind them quite a, a fair bit, and again that's potentially another blueprint set by a lower a lower team um, on how to challenge these top sides. So. Um, Obviously, in that game, there was a dodgy VAR decision, which um, ended the game. It was, I think it was in the last 10 minutes. Um, Jota goes down. It's never a penalty. 
it's never a penalty. I think that's a consensus, but it was given. I don't know how or why, but it was given, and it just shows there is no consistency, there is no order, and there is practically no law that they're adhering to. It's just how you feel like on the day, and that should not be how a Premier League referee should make their decisions. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I think it's not great. That should never have been a penalty, and Palace were robbed of a potential chance to get back in the game. Um, Arsenal bottled a big chance to go into the top four. They versus Burnley at home. They had their chances, but Burnley were diligent as ever and denied Arsenal a goal, sought out the nil draw, and I think if Arsenal had won that game, they would have gone into the top four, and that would have been that would have put massive pressure on other teams to really step up. But um, they were diligent, Burnley. They shut them out, and a very very characteristic nil all draw for Burnley there. Um, Brighton won, Leicester won. Two two sides who play Brighton more so this season. who play very. Ex- very expansive football, um, attractive football, the best of the rest, um, you could call them. But, um, yeah, I think it was Pats and Dakar with a goal, and I think Danny Welbeck as well. So the two the two number nines, the two talismans scored, which is always good to see. Um, yeah, not many talking points coming out of that game. And then going on to the Marquee game of the week, Chelsea to Tottenham nil. It's happened again. Um, I'll try to remove myself from the bias here, but um, I think Chelsea came into this came into the game playing a four triple two, but it didn't. It wasn't really a four triple two. It was more of a four three three. It was very similar to the way that we played under Frank Lampard. Um, funnily enough, with Jorginho holding Kovacic and Mount being those two advanced eights, and then you had Zayic and Hudson Odoi on either side really playing, like really hugging the touchline with that focal point of Lukaku up front. Um, I think this was Hakim Zayic's best game in a Chelsea shirt, obviously with a gorgeous goal. Um, it was, yeah, it was marvellous the way he struck that ball. I think over a dead ball and when the ball is kind of, st- when the ball stood still, there's not many players in the world that can strike a ball like him, he's absolutely phenomenal at doing that. Um, and then Thiago Silva with a with a gorgeous header, flick on um, at the back or flick on to the back post, and it beat Hugo Lloris to, to seal the game. I don't, I'm not sure Spurs had too many big chances after that. Um, there were obviously there was obviously a a contentious VAR decision against. Oh, what, I, don't, I don't think it actually went to VAR. A refereeing decision, um, obviously. I think it was late in the first half. The ball gets played into the box and Harry Kane gives a ever so slight nudge to Thiago Silva before scoring the goal and the referee deemed that a foul. In my opinion, I saw, like I flagged foul straight away only because of the like the petulance that was involved in that, Kane did not need to do that. He had the ball on a plate. He was gonna he was gonna score regardless of if Thiago Silva was on the floor or standing up. It's just that slight act of petulance, that slight un like unnecessary nature of that foul, which for me pushes it over the edge. Like 
you can't just push someone. I know it was slight. I know it was, you could call it a dive, and I don't blame you if you do call it a dive. But, yeah, I just don't. It's probably, it's, it's not a foul the other way. If it's the other way, I don't think they give that a penalty. However, if it's anywhere else on the pitch happening to either side, it's a it's a free kick. So, yeah, I don't know. It was tough, but these things happen in football, and they are, once again doesn't do its job properly. I think. Um, Spurs, looking at it from a Spurs perspective, they lined up with six defenders. I'm not too sure what the, the thought process was behind that. It was kind of a 4-4-2 in the way they lined up. Sesson Young obviously can play that left-wing role, but um, he's probably a left-back or a left-wing back by trade. Um, but yeah, they just I'll tell you what they need. <laughs> a progressive passer. a Not even a progressive passer, just a midfielder that can carry the ball forward. If... Like, if Spurs had Mateo Kovacic on that pitch, it's a completely different game because he's exactly what they need. That player that can take the ball, has the confidence to break through a line through a, a good pass or through just taking the ball forward, just carrying the ball forward. They lack that real penetration going forward and they rely on Kane to really create a lot. Um, yeah, I don't see it working in the long term. Um, and I think that's a message from Antonio Conte to the board, like... We need, like, we need, I need signings because I, I literally cannot take this side where you want it with these players. So, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see if they do get, who they get in the summer and potentially even January. Um, moving over, I think that we're done for England. So, moving across down to the Mediterranean for with the Spanish leg, now Atletico Madrid come from behind very dramatically to beat Valencia to um, to stake their claim in the top four. Um, goals from Angel Correa in the 91st minute and Mario Hermoso in the 93rd minute to um, win 3-2. And I think, that again, once that's a... Like we spoke about the characteristic event of an Antonio Conte side with that game against Leicester. And this is a characteristic of the Diego Simeone side never give up till till the final whistle um, it was good to see they've experimented with the f- with the 3-5-2 this season Atletico Madrid but the results have been looking like a four, uh, their traditional 4-4-2 is better that 3-5-2 is a lot has the same principles as a 4-4-2 it's very, very stringent, very solid in defence, it relies on that directness and that um, real individual brilliance. I don't want to call it that because they're obviously a good enough side to create chances on their own, but they don't their their main um their main focus is to stop teams rather than score. Um and they yeah. I think the four four two just provides a more balance. It is it, it does cover the most amount of air like it covers the most area on the pitch that formation in defense um if you can be versatile with it you can play it at a low block in a higher block you can drop that second striker you can drop a set a midfielder you can push the wingers up it's a more versatile than the three five two and um yeah i think they're going to stick to that for the near future because the three five two this year 
hasn't looked as Atletico Madrid like. It hasn't looked as Diego Simeone like as a, as a, as the four four two. Um, the other side of Madrid, Real Madrid, did come from behind as well. Now, not to win, to draw um, against Elche. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not Spanish, so I don't know. Um, a Modric penalty in the 82nd minute and an Adair Militao goal in the 92nd minute secured a point. Um, that puts them four points clear of Sevilla in the title race. Um, yeah. It'd be very, I'll be very shocked if they if they if they bottle it from here because Barcelona aren't a threat, nor Atletico Madrid, and Sevilla don't have that experience in those title winning scenarios that Real Madrid do. Um, I think they've got their league home. I think they're home and hose in that in that league. Um, going to Italy, so staying in the Mediterranean. Funnily enough. Um, Inter with a 90th minute winner, Ed and Dzeko against Venezia. Um, yeah, that puts them four points clear. <laughs> Had to work out. Had to do some maths. Um, yeah, so Napoli on, on 49 points and then Inter on 53. So they're four points clear with the game in hand. They've only lost one game this season and they're looking to go back to back, I believe. But they did win the last year. So, um, yeah, they're looking to go back to back and really... Um, really reclaim their throne on um, Italian football. Nothing that notable happened in France or Germany, so I think we'll leave it at that um, for the European leagues. Now, moving on to the African Cup of Nations. Now, there's a couple of things I want to address. Let's go through the group stages first. Now, in Group 1, Group A even, um, Cameroon, Burkina Faso and Cape Verde got through. Um, I don't think there's many shocks there. I think Ethiopia were the, the whipping boy of that group. I'm not sure. There was a lot of um, expectations on them. Group B, Senegal, M- Malawi and Gwene. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, got through again. No real shocks. Zimbabwe. Um, funnily enough, Zimbabwe actually got more points than some sides who finished in third, but you know, finished third in other groups. But they just didn't. But they were a little bit unlucky in that case. Um, group C: Morocco, Gabon, and Comoros. With Ghana missing out now. I want to touch on this because I said that Ghana were my dark horse um, heading into the tournament. Uh, how wrong was I? Um, they only got one point from that from that group, and Morocco and Gabon, who were expected to go through, but I think Ghana were as well. Yeah, there you go. We can't always be right, as they say. Um, in Group D, Nigeria, Egypt, and Sudan. Go, uh, well, sorry, Nigeria and Egypt go through. Sudan don't go through because they didn't have enough points. Um, so yeah, there you go. Moving to Group E, um, Ivory Coast and Equatoria Guinea um, got through. Sierra Leone didn't get through. They didn't have enough points. And Algeria finished rock bottom, which again was another shock. I thought they were. A near lock to go through. Um, group F, Mali, Gambia, and Tunisia got through with 
I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the last name. Is that, that's not Mauritius, isn't it? So it's not Mauritius, so I'm not going to pronounce it. Um, they didn't win a game, didn't score a goal. So yeah. Um, before I go through the knockout, the two knockout games that happened, I'm not sure many people saw this, but on so Comoros play Cameroon. Um, on. They would have already played Cameroon, as, as you're listening to this. But you will notice, if, if you go back and watch that game, their goalkeeper isn't actually a goalkeeper. Now, the Athletic UK um, reported that Comoros, and, or, and I quote, Comoros will have to play an outfield player in goal for the African, African Cup of Nations knockout game against Cameroon on Monday, as all three of their goalkeepers are unavailable. Now... Um, going into the article, it says there were 12 cases of the COVID um, within the squad, with Comoros's, with two of Comoros's three goalkeepers tested, testing positive. Um, their third keeper is out injured, and their head coach also tested positive for the virus. Now, this is the most African Cup of Nations thing I've ever seen in my life. I thought we couldn't get more AFCON than the referee blowing the whistle in the 85th minute for full time, but we've somehow done it. I, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in any tournament ever. They're playing an outfield player in goal. The Comoros assistant coach said, confirmed, we've already chosen an outfield player who will start as keeper. It's a player who, during training sessions, has shown that they can play as a keeper. Now, they only have 12 of their 25-man squad available. So, if like you would have, no, you will know the result of this game by the time you listen to this. I don't. If Comoros don't concede a goal, Cameroon should forfeit. I don't care if they win on penalties; they should forfeit the tournament. This is so bizarre, so mind blowing, so just what the hell, and yeah. Unbelievable. I can't even explain how, how daft that is. Um, going into the... We'll preview the knockout the knockout stages. Um, two games have already happened. Burkina Faso beat Gabon on penalties. Um, it was a last-minute goal from um, Burkina Faso to take it to extra time. It was last-minute own goal, in fact. Um, from Burkina, from Gabon even, to um to take his extra time and Burkina Faso won on penalties, and Tunisia potentially an upset against Nigeria, but they got through one nil. Now, I'll touch on um my predictions for it. Um, I did say Senegal at the start of the tournament, and I will I will stick by that. I think, I think Senegal will win. I think it will be a Senegal versus Ivory Coast final. And I think Senegal will win. I really like the look of Ivory Coast. Um, I think Ibrahim Zangre from Ajax, no PSV, is a player. Is a is a player. I think he's a very, very good player. Um, he's really made his name. He made a name for himself on the international stage in this tournament, and he's been fantastic so far for Ivory Coast and. They've got Egypt in the first round, which isn't hard, and if they win, they versus Morocco, which isn't easy. Um, 
and then they, they could versus Cameroon as well. So they've got a little bit of a, of a very tough draw. It's definitely the, the harder um, half of the bracket than Senegal, who will verse either Mali or Ecuadoria Guinea. Equatoria Guinea, if they get through Cape Verde. And then if they win that, they'll versus either Burkina Faso or Tunisia, who, yes, are hard teams, but um, Egypt, Morocco, Cameroon would be a, a very, very, very tough draw for Ivory Coast if they were to to reach the final. Um, yeah. Um, that's what I'm going with. Ivory Coast versus Senegal final. And Senegal in on penalties. Why not? I'm going early, but I'll give a prediction as, as the tournament progresses. Um, I think that's done for the retrospective side of, the, of football. Um, oh, we're not done yet. Who went into footed? Now... The only segment on this podcast, because it's the only segment that I couldn't be bothered making and doing on a consistent basis. So, um, who went into footed? Basically, who, which team, player, club, coach, pundit, who, spectator, did something daft throughout the week? Who did something just completely dumb? And this team didn't do something dumb. They just did something that is very, very... Um, Spursy, and the team is Spurs. They've lost four times to Chelsea this season, not scored a goal, and lost a lost nine nil over those on aggregate. I believe it was three nil in the first game, two nil in the second, one nil in the third, and two nil in the fourth. So eight nil over the the four games and. They've won once in 37 attempts at Sanford Bridge. And I'm not sure Tottenham... I thought once I signed it, once I got Antonio Conte, that the whole Spursy thing would just like disappear. But quite clearly, Spurs are still Spurs, and they are Spursy as always. 8-0 um, over four games is not good enough. Lose, winning one game in 37, attempt, 37 attempts is not good enough. And it's just... So Tottenham, um, uh, Chelsea once beat Tottenham four nil twice in three days, um, I think. So that's funny. That's up there with this. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I don't even know Tottenham. They just they never they never cease to amaze you, don't they? Um, we'll preview the week's action of football. They've got the the big blue um, on tonight as you're listening to this, or it could have already happened if you're listening to this. Um, the FA Cup semi-final on Saturday, Malmbridge vs Wellington at GMHBA Stadium because because Western United and Melbourne City are playing at Melbourne Victory's home ground. So, yep, that's good. Um, I think Victory should get through. Obviously, I'm biased inherently, but I think Melbourne Victory should they're good enough to beat Wellington um, and Popovich will want to win the FA Cup so he will spare no punches attempting to, to get this done in the 90. Um, obviously the international break, Australia versus Vietnam and Oman. It is an absolute must win both games because we cannot rely on getting results against Japan and Saudi Arabia in the final um, in the final group, like, group of fixtures. We travel to Japan and we host Saudi Arabia 
now. No, we host Japan and we go to Saudi Arabia. I would I would be surprised if we get a point from those two games. So we absolutely must beat and comprehensively beat Vietnam and Oman because it's just not good. Like we have to. We can't rely on playoffs again to qualify for the World Cup. We need to, if we're going to develop as a footballing nation, we need to get through automatically to the World Cup on a consistent basis. And it starts from here. Um, I've never been the biggest Graham Arnold aficionado. I've never been an enthusiast about Graham Arnold. But he is a adequate manager, for these two, for, especially for these group of fixtures. I know he will not be, in the, he will not be coaching for the Vietnam game um, because he tested positive but surely like surely right it's yeah, that's going to come back to buy me so um i think i think the oman game's on next tuesday night so i will do a preview of that next week i think um especially if we don't beat vietnam that game becomes must win under every circumstance um the world cup qualification i don't think there's any european world cup qualification um I don't think the playoffs have started yet. It's only CONCACAF and Comnibol. Um, th- there's plenty of um, games still to happen after this after this international break, so there's no real jeopardy on the shoulders of them just yet. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for these for this week. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not sure there's a, yeah. I'm not sure there's there's much more to speak on. Um, obviously World Cup, obviously international break next week. So um, I'm not sure what I'll do in terms of if I might do something special with next week's episode. You have to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, enjoy your week. In stay well, stay safe. Um, enjoy the football and speak to you guys. Yeah. Bye.